welcome to the Evidence Informed Teaching Podcast. Are you a teacher wanting to improve your classroom practice and deliver excellent teaching through access to research? Do you have a passion for teaching and are looking to connect with other like-minded colleagues through professional discussions? The Charter College has partnered with TeacherTap to support teachers to deliver excellent teaching through access to research and we invite you to be part of this community. On this podcast you will hear from fellow teachers, research experts and you have the opportunity to be part of this professional discussion. You can find out more about the Charter College of Teaching and TeacherTap in the show notes and if you find this episode helpful why not share it with a teacher friend take a screenshot and post it on your social media or even better leave us a five-star written review Hello, I'm Beth O'Brien and I'm Education Content Specialist here at the Chartered College of Teaching. I'm delighted to welcome you to a very special edition of the podcast series, where we will be discussing the launch of our brand new online course, Leading Inclusive Schools. And I'm even more delighted to welcome Hannah Collins, Vice Principal of Trinity Leeds Academy, one of the contributors to this very exciting course. And we're going to be speaking with Hannah a little bit later about her journey towards a more inclusive approach in her school. But before I introduce Hannah and hear about her fantastic work, we are going to talk a little bit about what Leading Inclusive Schools actually is and what the course is all about. So this online course is supported by the charity of Sir Richard Whittington, which is part of the Mercer's company. They have provided the funding to produce six online learning modules for school leaders on the very important theme of leading inclusive schools. It is very much aimed at school leaders, including head teachers, executive head teachers, assistant heads and deputy heads. But some modules may be relevant to other teachers in other roles, including middle leaders, pastoral leaders and SENCOs. It is very much focused at offering guidance and ideas that support school leaders with decision making rather than focusing on pedagogy in the classroom. We will be exploring multitude of areas in these modules, very important ones concerning this theme, including building diverse and inclusive staff teams and engaging parents in the local community. Each of the modules incorporates content from researchers, school leaders and teachers with lived experience and expertise in this space to write and create and review content. And we're very lucky to have one of them with us today. But it's important also to acknowledge that these modules are designed as a starting point, an introduction to this work. We cannot claim that we have all the answers. There's no one size fits all approach to the very complex issues leaders are facing in the different contexts around the country. We know that context is important. So instead we are offering some core principles um, supported by the work of fantastic colleagues across the sector to help you design a approach that would work best in your school. So now I'm going to introduce Hannah Collins, who contributed an excellent video case study outlining her approach to a more inclusive school in Leeds. Um, So we're lucky enough to have her here to discuss in a bit more detail exactly what she's been doing over the last few years. So firstly, welcome, Hannah. And I think we'll we'll start with you telling us a little bit more about your school, if that's okay. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Thank you very much for inviting me on. I'm really excited about this incredibly important piece of work that you're doing around inclusive schools. Um, To give you a bit of background then, we opened in September 2021. So I'm aware I'm in an incredibly privileged position 
of getting to set up a school from scratch. It was literally a field and some steel girders. And we came up with the idea of what we wanted the school to look like. And the head teacher had an incredibly clear vision. And then when I was appointed, it was very obvious we wanted to do something different here. We had, a, a, a let's be honest, a once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, the area that we serve has been blighted for the past three decades, successive governments, um, it's been underfunded and there's become a real stigma around this area. It is an area of high deprivation. It's an area that people have been fearful of walking out in alone. It's been an area that people have a sort of a preconception. You know, I wouldn't want to live there. I wouldn't let my child go to school there. When we were setting up the school, we had comments like, oh gosh, I wouldn't want to work there. And we decided really early on that we were going to rewrite the narrative and we were never going to accept anything but the very best for the young people in our care. And we have a phrase we use often and we have a lot of shared language, which I'll come on to, but we talk about never conflating high deprivation with low aspiration. It's quite the opposite. Our children are asset poor, but they are incredibly character rich. We have an incredibly diverse community, which to me is something to be celebrated. So one of the first decisions we made um, was we have a huge number of what are called students who are EAL, mm -hmm. but we dislike that phrase. English as an additional language, I feel that it's a deficit model. So we decided really early on, we were going to change that to multilingual students. Many of our students are new to English, but they speak five languages. Now I don't speak five languages, so <laughs> that's something to be encouraged and celebrated. Um, so that, that was one thing before we even opened, that no teacher in this school will refer to a student who has EAL on their profile as anything other than multilingual, celebrating that. So that, that's just one thing. So we, we set up the school, we had 240 year seven students join us in the September. 70 of those were placements. So that's children whose parents haven't actually opted for a secondary school. I'm in a very privileged position with a good career and a stable, supportive family. Friends my age are overstretching themselves on mortgages to buy a house to be next to the best school. People change all sorts of things to get children into their good school. Now, if you imagine 70 children whose parents did not fill in a form, that tells you a little bit about the context. Um, and to be fair, of those 240 children, I was selling them a dream. I didn't have a building. I didn't have any staff. It was quite a gamble to come with us on this journey. And it's really important to us that it is, this is a project. And not just because we started from the ground, it will always be a project. Mm -hmm. And every teacher who walks into this becomes part of that project. And unashamedly, we are transforming lives, we're changing lives. And I think that that becomes a really powerful narrative. So that's our school. We have 73 different languages. We have just under 70% people premium. You'll know the national average is 20. The statistics are pretty bleak for this area. Probably the most depressing one is that children do worse the longer they go to school in this area, mm -hmm. which is obviously horrific. You throw in a bit of COVID um, and the cost of living crisis, things are really difficult for people in this area. But that's why our the highest of challenge, the highest, highest level of challenge, the highest of expectations, coupled with the highest of support means that every student is going to succeed. And for me, I spoke to a lovely uh, head teacher of a primary school, one of our feeders when we opened, and she said, and I know what she meant, 
she said, I want my children to do so well, they can leave this area. And I thought, no, what I want is for our children to do so well, they can transform this area. And actually, um, where we are now is somewhere really exciting. There's lots of history. And I want that to be put on the map for the right reasons. I don't want people to leave. I want our children to empower their families. And also, we talk a lot about character. We're going to, the academic outcomes will absolutely deliver. But equally important is I want our children to leave, not just with that currency, but I want them to go on to be, to live lives well lived. Mm -hmm. I want them to be good parents, good friends, good brothers and sisters. Um, and I genuinely think, you know, it's the, the overquoted, but absolutely accurate Mandela quote, education is the most powerful weapon which we've got to change the world. And if we can get these children amplifying their voices, get them a seat at the table, I'm really, I mean, you come in and meet our children and I guarantee <laughs> you'll feel better about the future than you do currently because they are incredible young people. Well, I've had actually some colleagues visit your school only a few months ago and they echoed that exactly. Both your staff and students really emanate everything you've just been talking about. And I'm really glad um, you've been both so open to share your journey because I think you've identified a few things that we found find often with school leaders embarking on this journey that firstly it's incredibly challenging and there's been especially over the last few years a lot of uh, bumps along the road that we would never have anticipated um, and it's how we overcome those challenges to continue enacting our vision um, which you seem to have done incredibly well and the fact that it's an ongoing journey that there's no end point to this journey it's always developing and it's a, as you use it's a project that people are coming on board all the time and sharing together um, I particularly liked um, your the thread of moving beyond labels in your context. I think that's really, really important part of inclusive leadership. A lot of the labels that we put on children in education are, are, are provide, provide what you refer to as a deficit model. And it's about having those high expectations for all students, no matter their experience and backgrounds. So that's a, another thread um, that we definitely share that those values alongside you. And, and another thing which module five of this course is all about is about engaging with your community and valuing what you have around you and making sure that students and parents equally value that environment um, and making the best use of it that you can, which I know your school absolutely does. I would like to talk a little bit about curriculum, if you don't mind. As teachers, obviously, the content we teach and how we teach it is so important in fostering that sense of belonging and empowering our students. So I was just wondering, in terms of your curriculum, how have you adapted it to foster this culture? That's a really great question. Um, again, it's been the privilege of a lifetime to, we inherited a curriculum from one of our sister schools in the mat. And, you know, we we opened a school, we weren't ready on the first day. So if you can imagine, I've brought everybody in for this fantastic induction. We had two days at Ellen Road to launch this incredible vision. And then when we got there for our first inset day, I had to tell everybody to put a high vis on, a helmet, and start unpacking boxes. But actually, it was great because it just got that egos at the door. Everybody gets stuck in. We might have computers tomorrow. We might not. We got, you know, it was such an exciting project. So we inherited the curriculum because we didn't know what we were going to have from sort of day one. Mm. And then it was really important to me that curriculum leaders took ownership of that and they've adapted it wildly, absolutely transformed the curriculum. So it is contextualized. It's highly ambitious. And for me, we kind of weave the canonical with the contemporary. 
and it's really important. I'm, I'm an English teacher by trade, um, and I love the, it was Bishop, was, I mean, it's quite an old quote now, I think it was 1990. You'll have heard the mirrors and windows. Mm. Books should be mirrors and windows. And our curriculum needs to be mirrors and windows. And you'll hear that phrase across the academy, whether it's PE. So I know they want to, uh, our head of PE wants them to do rugby league because we're a rugby league town, but also they do indoor rowing. You know, they do lacrosse. So it's the, the idea is mirrors. You can see yourself reflected there, but also windows that you can go out and look at the, the, the world around us. Similarly, so our geography curriculum starts in Bermontos. Our history curriculum starts with the local history. Um, our English curriculum, we've just introduced a, a verse novel by Jason Reynolds, Long Way Down, which is fantastic. And it's got um, authentic African-American voice there. But we didn't choose it for that reason. We chose it because it's a brilliant vehicle to teach metaphor. So yes, we taught Long Way Down and the children loved it and it's spoken word. But also we, we talked about Dante's Inferno. Um, we're now talking about the yellow wallpaper mm, and we're talking really about really. the descent of madness. And the whole idea to me is that this literary heritage is yours. If you live in this country right now, then Shakespeare's yours. You know, Milton's yours, as is all the fantastic history and culture from your, your native land if, if you've moved fairly recently. And I think that idea of, for me, we celebrate diversity, absolutely, but we also share those values that underpin everything. So, you know, we do, we do an interfaith week um, three times a year, and we basically look at all the major religions, and they all say the same thing. Be kind, help people who can't help themselves. That's it. It's the golden rule. Um, so, you know, when we, we had Ramadan recently, and we made sure that that was sort of woven into the curriculum, but we, what was beautiful, we had prayers but they were led by a member of staff a practicing was a member of staff but then as the weeks went on children would actually lead those prayers wow and it was incredibly emotional as a, a, a non-religious person I was invited to go and be part of that mm. and I think that was great because in my ignorance I didn't know if I was allowed if it was disrespectful to go and watch prayers so it felt really positive and, and inclusive to say this is going on would you like to come and be part of it um, and it just got some really interesting conversations um going along and it that it really felt like a very strong community then and I know the parents were very supportive of that um, so yeah in terms of diversifying the curriculum it's so important to me nothing is ever tokenistic mm. so I'm we have inspire assemblies every um Thursday for year eight and Friday for year seven and we we deliberately put our morning meetings where we do our kind of what we always call bags bogs and buses the sort of you need to make sure you bring this and da, 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 in the morning <laughs> and our assembly is half an hour of inspiration so a teacher will do a deliver and inspire on a role model or it could be a real model could be grandma could be somebody from up the road and when I've looked back at those they've been incredibly diverse because that's what we do so we've talked about um Ella Fitzgerald we've talked about I mean all Rob Burrow hundreds of different voices it was really interesting because you look at things like Black History Month and we were sort of saying, well, do we need to make sure that we've got some black figures in our Inspire Assembly? And you look and say, well, 60% of the people we spoke about were not white, but nobody ever planned that. And that's when you know it's working. Those diverse voices are there. Now we've been arguing English because there still aren't enough women writers mm -hmm. <laughs> in our curriculum, but we're, we're having that conversation all the time. Um, so we've just moved to Things Fall Apart, 
I know, I'm so excited. Amazing. Um, we're talking about perhaps the purple hibiscus and bringing in all these different oh. ideas. Um, but it, it can never be because we need to have an author of a specific color or a specific gender. It's got to be what text is quality and it's going to do the job. Now the library is completely diverse, full of brilliant texts. But again, I've, what makes me wince slightly, this is, this is my opinion, is if you go into a library and there's a section of black literature, mm. because I think that is other. And I think it's, I, I taught under the old spec of poems from different cultures and it just makes me wince. It's just poems. Um, and I think just seeing that, the, particularly for literature, that there is, there's this, this canon, but we're all part of it. And you're writing things and reading things based on what people were reading and writing a thousand years ago. And I, I, I come from a, um, a father who left school at 14, was not educated to any sort of high level, but read and mm -hmm. read and read and read a lot. And he used to get grumpy with us as teenagers when we were sort of doing the muttering thing. And his phrase was, you've inherited the language of Milton and Shakespeare, kindly use it so that <laughs> we got us to speak properly. And it, it stuck with me. Um, because actually that is my language and I often say to the children you know the words there's no words are free everybody these words are for everybody it's not this is the language for these people there are words and it's for us to do what we will with them so we do a lot of talk about code switching mm. um, so we absolutely do lots of work on students language and spoken language but why actually in a formal setting it's appropriate to code switch and they do it when they speak to teachers all the time um, and just making sure we've got that, that balance right. So that, that's been really powerful. Yeah, making sure diverse voices. We actually have five academy key drivers and one of them is diversity. So everybody's thinking about diversity all the time, but that is a driver that goes all the way through. It's not a let's all stop and have a day of this. Um, it's something that is just drip fed all the time. And I think it's so important that if you can see it, you can be it. So I went into, I'm very lucky, I've got a wonderful local bookshop the lady that um, set that up, I, I spend far too much time in there and I told <laughs> her what I was doing and um, she's a, a woman of Caribbean heritage and she's opened a bookshop from nothing. So I said, can you come and talk to my kids about that? Um, so she came and spoke to them about it. And it's just now half of them might not have got anything from that, but there'll be one or two who thought, oh, maybe I could set up my own business. The VP of Burberry came down and did something similar. So it's just, there's lots of brilliant in my city. And I think it's just amplifying those voices, which is what I love about what you're doing. Rather than having these pockets of brilliance squirreled away, let's share it. And also I think there's been a danger of schools being in competition with one another. Now, I want all children to do really, really well. Of course I do, that's why I'm in teaching. Mm -hmm. so if, you're, if you're at the neighboring school, I want to support you to be the best you can be. Why wouldn't I? Um, and just opening those, getting those walls sort of kicked down, I suppose. And, and as you said, context is key. I'm not saying I've got the silver bullet. There isn't one. The silver bullet is get brilliant stuff and work really hard. <laughs> well, that brings me on to my next question, actually. But I just firstly want to say how inspiring it is to hear all that you've done in your context. First is a fellow English teacher. It's, it's incredible the work that you've done in the English curriculum and you mentioning books like Purple Hibiscus, it gets me all excited again for, for thinking about curriculum. But I think you've done some fantastic work with the fact that you're utilizing this as part of your everyday um, school practice and both in your prescribed curriculum, but it seems to align with everything that you're doing around the school, which I think is the 
the ultimate aim it's not just about curriculum on its own it's not just about the community on its own it's bringing it all together and making sure it all aligns for this holistic experience for the child so they feel like they belong in that setting and I feel your school is doing it incredibly well but I think that's what you just mentioned at the ends of what you said there it's I guess my question is for or how do you get staff on board with this vision it's a challenge it there are knockbacks along the way how have you supported staff to enact your vision in your school I think um that's a really good question because for me it's about absolute clarity of vision absolute clarity of purpose and never losing sight of why we're doing what we're doing everything we do is about improving the life chances of these children and if I'm asking you to do something that's not doing that come and tell me and we'll take it away. So sometimes it's about stripping back. Growth is sometimes about pruning, isn't it? Mm. And we have put things in place and gone, do you know what? That's not working. Let's take it out. And having the humility that just as we do with our curriculum, uh, we have this phrase that our curriculum maps are lived, not laminated. So <laughs> they're constantly evolving. Verbal hibiscus might not be on the year after we might change our minds and that's great. And I want those. We, we have curriculum conversations where we invite other experts to come in and say, look, this is what we think we're doing. Can you just spend a day and are we really doing it? And I, I'll give you 10 students and I'll leave you with them. Come and tell me, can they articulate their curriculum journey properly? And if they can't, great, tell me what can I do about it? So I think with staff, just like with the students, high accountability, high support. If it's not happening, come and tell me and let's see what we can do about it. So there's a total no blame culture mm. because for me as a leader, if your lessons aren't good enough, that's my fault. If your curriculum's not working, that's my fault. So let me get in. Um, and we have, we drop in on each other all the time, a real open door culture, because it's all about the children's experience. And as you said that, we talk about one curriculum. So I think my, my favorite um, analogy for this is we had um, a young lady playing uh, Miss Honey in Matilda last year in our school show. And <laughs> the head of PE said, you know, that's the same day as the rugby final, the girls' year uh, seven national cup, which they won. Um, the girls rugby final so she went to play in the girls rugby final in Warrington won came back got changed became Miss Honey um, and that's a young lady who's never played rugby and never been on stage before but for me the best bit about that was the head of drama and the head of PE going how can we support each other how can we make this happen now in previous schools it wouldn't have been the case one would have said we can't do this that's not right so it's one curriculum so you'll hear a science teacher um, talking about maths homework and how important it is everybody gets behind everything it, it's you know it sounds silly we, we teach Spanish so every Friday we have our Spanish Fridays where our steps which is how we greet the children good morning good morning good afternoon become buenos dias buenas tardes wow. the kitchen staff do it and that's so important that if you work here whether you are cooking food cleaning the toilets it's the NASA thing isn't it you know the JFK thing about what's the guy doing sweeping the floor and putting a man on the moon? You know, if you work in this building, you are transforming the lives of these children. So when uh, our head bought us a book called Legacy, mm. which I've actually got here, uh, by James <laughs> Kerr, and it's brilliant, it's all about the All Blacks and why they were so successful. But every member of staff, whether you work in the office, site team, everybody got this to go and read because we're absolutely mission aligned. So when our children walk past an adult, they greet them and they look them in the eye and they say, good morning or good afternoon, sir or miss, or uh, how are you? And we teach those sort of habits. Now, if I have a cleaner who doesn't do that, everything falls apart. So it's got to be everybody. 
and we have this sort of each one to teach one. So every every encounter you have with a child is a chance to improve them. You know, you leave that them a little bit better than you found them. So if you see a child on their own, we'll go out go out after it. If a child slumps against the wall and they're talking to you, say, "What's well, done it properly? Thank you." Hands out your pockets. That's lovely. And we're just teaching. We have my my own child rule. So if my daughter walked past you and didn't say hello to you, I'd make it go back. Uh, Jessica, Beth's there. Make sure you greet her, please. Thank <laughs> you very much. We have the highest of expectations of children in our own families, don't we? And Absolutely. we'll go after something and we're not going to let them get away with things. Why on earth wouldn't we do that? And that's when you get into the danger of loving them back into poverty. Or you've seen what a difficult life he's got. Maybe it's not fair to expect him to do this. Well, life doesn't contextualise. No boss is ever going to say, actually, you did have a really tough time, didn't you? So you don't need to meet that deadline. And actually, we're patronising them by saying that. And what I've found is that the higher the standards, the more kids want to stretch and reach and, and just grab hold of that. So in answer to your initial question, uh, staff five <laughs> is about over communicating the vision at every opportunity. And it's exactly the same with the students. So you'll hear Tal Trinity Academy leads, you'll hear Tal language all the time. Mm. And we use the same phrases. Uh, one that comes to mind, I say to the children all the time, when one of us succeeds and they all say back, we all succeed. And it's a really powerful message. We have our, our mantra, which we shout out loud and proud together, see for, um, reach higher, see further, shine brighter. So the children say that every week. They have a, their own Latin mantra for their teams, which they've written and they stand and they say that with pride. So it's, and I think what you said is, is key. It's about a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. And that is so crucial for psychological safety um, that the children, you're part of our community. We call them our purple stars. We've got quite a purple theme going on. <laughs> uh, and we make sure they belong to something because we talk about, we've got wolves at the door. There's someone on the gates, half a mile from my school, who will give you 50 pounds to take a package to somewhere. And I'm saying, stick with me. And in five years time, you might get some good grades. You know, we're battling a context here where there are genuine villains out there who want to get hold of my children. So I've got to give them that self-efficacy and belief that I'm better than this and I, I can do good things and I, I belong in the boardroom. I belong at university, whatever their vision is, that we, we have an absolute mission statement that everybody will leave here able to pursue their goals, whatever that is. Um, and everybody's behind that. So we have curriculum build sessions um, where our CPD sessions, we have really powerful insets, mm. but we're unashamedly evidence-informed Mm -hmm. but we talk all the time about not forgetting what we're doing and why we're here uh, there's another book the, the founders mentality mm -hmm. which is all about how businesses thrive um with that sort of idea of the founding mentality but also if you're lucky enough to be here from day one that's amazing it's a, a really special journey but actually in 10 years time it's like you said it's still going to be a project yeah it's still going to be evolving and for me you plant an acorn knowing that you're not going to be there to enjoy the shade of the tree, mm. don't you? So if I do my job right, in 20 years' time, this building will be providing an exceptional world-class curriculum for these children, whether I'm here or not. It's not about, um, we have a phrase, I might have said it already, the ego's at the door. Mm. It's not about us. It's about the children yeah. and the, yeah. the, the community. Um, and I genuinely believe what we're doing is transformational. Okay. And we hold each other to account because we care. So um, my head always says the opposite of love is apathy. So if I walk past your lesson and it's not great and I don't say anything, well, that's not love. That's not care. If I take time to say to you, 
you know, you did that. Have you thought about this? Well, that's that's okay. And it's the same with the children. If you say, I need you to go away and write that again, because I know you can do better. That's a really powerful message as opposed to, well, don't worry, did your best. You know what I mean? It's the, it sounds, a bit, it sounds brutal. I say to staff all the time, never, never confuse a child's need for a hug with a child's need for a bloody good science graduate. <laughs> Sometimes that's going to get them where they need to go. And it's easy to have the hot chocolate there, isn't it? Um, and I say to the kids all the time about integrity. You do what's right, not what's easy. And it's actually easy to drop your standards for kids. And it's easy not to put them in that rebuild session because you know life's not great at home. But if you if you let them off, you let them down. Gosh, it's absolutely inspiring. I want to apply immediately to work there. I mean, <laughs> it's incredible. Um, just some things like when you've been talking, some things that have really drawn out of that discussion, which I just think should be highlighted. I think the phrase that you use was over communicating your vision. I totally agree. And that's something that school leaders who have contributed to this course have constantly said at the outset of their journey, they need a clearly defined vision that's constantly revisited. You can never revisit it too much. So every part of school life reflects that vision and is working towards that vision and I like that phrase over communicating it I just think it is very is very vivid in my mind and I love the fact that you're seeing your staff teams beyond simply teachers and going wider than that um, obviously including our teaching assistants our support staff the uh, people who work in the canteen our site team our admin staff I think that's really important when we're talking about diversity inclusion to have them on board with that vision and them take an active part in inset days in in those discussions to develop those um ideas and actions forward it's absolutely essential as you say and i think that's something that's been really brought out from our discussion with leaders as well um also what you were talking about having an open dialogue as well i think that questioning culture, encouraging curiosity and constructive feedback and being quite uncomfortable sometimes to he hearing it, um, but being open to change. I think um, speaking to staff over the last few months about that, that's really, really, really critical. And if you can't do those things, the change is unlikely to take place. That's a that that culture is really, really important. Um, but what I hear most of all, everybody's just modelling this vision day in, day out, from leaders modelling it to teachers, teachers modelling it to students. It just sounds like every cog is turning in the right direction to enact this vision that you've so articulately communicated, over-communicated. It's, it's working really incredibly well. Um, I really enjoyed also your analogy about the acorn and letting it grow almost over years to come perhaps when you're no longer teaching at the school let keeping that culture going that you've so amazingly um cultivated so i guess that ongoing journey with so many challenges along the way but incredible transformations to be had you've inspired me how are you going to inspire other school leaders embarking on this journey? And I want to ask you for your one key bit of advice. Um, I think it, it's always oh, hard to come up with one piece. Uh, I think the clarity of vision is crucial. I think you have to absolutely believe in everything you're saying or you're doing. Otherwise, you lose that authenticity. I think you have to be brave. People are going to disagree with you. And that's absolutely fine. So I think you're right about that intellectual curiosity good leaders change their minds it's not that we're absolutely wedded and fixated on this one way of doing it the vision's not going to change I'm never going to lower my standards for students or staff ever 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 but 
Am I going to approach that slightly differently after a conversation? Yes, I might. Are we going to move things around in the school day? Yes. Um, I think it's the rather than thinking, what if it won't work? Think, well, what if it does? What if it could? Um, so it sounds cheesy, but, but, but dream big, because once you have your vision and you are mission aligned and you keep those staff on board, and I think the, the biggest thing to me is empowering staff so that they have ownership because we had to be quite top down initially. You know, there were, there were two people. We recruited our whole staff online like this, which was, you know, yeah. Um, oh really my yeah. Um, and Another curveball. Wow. They are, you know, then we had the floods and Brexit. But, you know, th these people are, they are phenomenal people. But we, you invest in your staff, you value your staff. Um, and I think the, the well being is a really interesting current debate mm. because what do staff want? They want to feel valued and supported. And that's absolutely crucial. So it's the Richard Brands thing, isn't it? So you treat them, you know, you, you train them so well, they could go on to do anything. You treat them so well, they never want to leave. And, and that, that for me is probably the, the key thing is making sure all staff feel valued and supported. They are mission aligned. And whenever there is an attack on your culture, which there will be, then you just go after it straight away. So what you're talking about, the, the sort of drop-in thing, if you see something that's not where you want it to be, you go and you have that conversation there and then. You don't wait six weeks, just as you would with a child. If a child isn't respectful in a conversation, oh, we set that conversation right then. Not in an aggressive way, just say, right, we're going to start this again, because the way you're speaking to me now is not, not great. Let's just model that. Go again. Thank you very much. And you set it in the moment. You don't dwell on it. Being brave enough to say, something's wrong, come and talk to me about it, having that real sort of open door, but leading from the front, I would never ask someone to do something I wouldn't be prepared to do myself. Going back to the, the legacy book, they talk about sweeping the sheds. Mm -hmm. So actually, sometimes leadership is about emptying a bin, grabbing a pair of socks <laughs> for a kid, showing humility, servant leadership. If I can help you, I will. They talk about uh, better, better all blacks are better people. And it's the same with my staff. I genuinely... My staff are brilliant teachers. They're also just incredibly good people mm. who are driven with a moral purpose. And that then becomes infectious. So that sense of belonging, everybody bringing each other up. Um, everybody wants to be successful. Of course they do. And I think success breeds success. So when you're teaching in a corridor of brilliant educators, you're going to up your game because you want to be part of that. Um, I realise this is not one key piece of advice. <laughs> yeah, my one key piece of advice is invest in your staff. I think that's an absolutely essential part of school life. And I think it's a really poignant point to actually end on. I mean, I'm hearing lots of things, dream big, be brave, but investing in empowering our staff, If I, I think that's a good place to leave because without those staff, buying into the vision and enacting the vision in those classrooms that 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 sense of belonging that inclusivity can never be cultivated and it won't be long lasting so I think that's I I, I it's really powerful and resonated very deeply with me so thank you Hannah Hannah honestly um Thank you for being so open and honest about your journey towards inclusive leadership. Um, I know that so many school leaders out there will not only be inspired by everything you have done in your context, but also really value some of the experiences that you've had. This isn't an easy journey. 
Um, but it's an important one that we should all be embarking on. So I really thank you for sharing that expertise and that knowledge and that lived experience, because as you say, we should be working together as a, a sector to improve everyone. So I really liked that sentiment. So I'm just going to wrap up, I think now, and just finish off by saying a huge thank you to Hannah, of course. But I'd also like to just remind everyone that the Leading Inclusive course launches on Thursday. Um, by taking part in this course, you're embarking on a journey that's incredibly important, incredibly exciting, and you can hear from a range of school leaders such as Hannah and all around the country in lots of different contexts um, and learn from their expertise and experiences. And that's the best way I think we can, can learn as a profession. Um, so we'd absolutely love to have you on board and we would love to support you on your journey towards a more inclusive education across the country. If you have enjoyed today's episode and would like to access more research evidence for your classroom, you can join the Chartered College of Teaching for as little as $1.96 per month at www.chartered.college. And remember to download TeacherTap free from your app or Play Store to share your views, opinions and experiences from the classroom. Every voice makes the picture clearer.